Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest is Patrick Barron, the CEO of AmbiSafe Financial. Website is ambisafe-financial.com. Patrick, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? All right. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So tell me about uh, AmbiSafe. What do you guys do? Yeah, so we're a full-service ICO provider, and uh, we take clients all the way through the ICO process. Uh, we go from start to finish. So the first thing that we do when we take on a project is a due diligence assessment. We need to understand how far along the project is, uh, how far along the team is, as well as the white paper. Uh, from there, we put together a roadmap of uh, items that we feel need to be completed in order for our clients to launch a successful token sale. Uh, we assign a project manager to each of our clients. This includes somebody who's going to advise on governance best practices as well as tokenomics and really be the primary point of contact for the customers that, uh, that we have. So uh, we make a lot of introductions. We make introductions to legal counsel. Having solid legal counsel is incredibly important in this space. Uh, we make introductions sure. to due diligence firms, folks like Strategic Coin, who are able to do an independent third-party review of the project. Uh, people like to see that there's been a trusted set of eyes that has reviewed a project before proceeding with a token sale, uh, as well as folks who can hold funds and release funds based on milestones met. So this is typically a buyer protection mechanism. People like to see that if there has been a project that has failed or if the founders don't end up uh, completing the project, then not all of the funds are, uh, are susceptible to being lost. Uh, we also help with all of the technology. So uh, this includes putting together a white landing page that tells the story of the project, what the token represents, links to the white paper, links to all the social media and communication, uh, and uh, then we help with the token sale itself. So we write a smart contract. Uh, we have about 65 developers on staff. We have the ability between our, between our legal entities, about 65 developers total. So we have the ability to write a very vanilla smart contract to issue a token. We also have an ability to help our clients get to a position of having a minimum viable product so that the token be, can be plugged in at the time of token sale. And uh, 
we can sell the tokens through our decentralized Ethereum token exchange, which is called orderbook.io. So orderbook is the most technologically advanced Ethereum token exchange in the world, and it's both a primary as well as a secondary market for Ethereum tokens. Uh, we have the ability to do KYC, know your customer. Uh, we have anti-money laundering uh, built in. We also have accreditation verification built into the smart contracts, so we can uh, help with the compliance aspects as well. Uh, in addition to that, some of the other things that we help with our clients do is uh, with white paper, we can make technical contributions to the white paper. Uh, we can also make introductions to advisors, folks who can uh, help fill in on a board and uh, at, contribute to a project. So really full service start to finish is, is what we are. And we're always looking for very high quality startups to work with. Uh, we also help existing businesses tokenize their business model if it makes sense. Uh, and We've been in the space since 2015. Uh, well, I guess actually we've been in the space since early 2010. Uh, we've been around as Ambisafe since 2015. And we're headquartered in San Francisco, uh, have operations in Kiev as well as Singapore. Tell me about the uh, decentralized exchange. How does that work and why is it decentralized? Give me a few details on it. Sure. So Orderbook is, uh, is a decentralized Ethereum token exchange. It is peer-to-peer. Uh, meaning that we are not a middleman. Uh, it is uh, non-custodial, meaning that we have no access to customers' funds or their private keys, although we have actually built a very ingenious multi-factor authentication system, which enables uh, account holders to reset their password if they have lost their password, which happens about 50% of the time. Uh, but we don't have any access to customers' private keys, so it's non it's non-custodial. Uh, the order book is transparent. The order book is hosted in a smart contract. The order book is also completely auditable. So either a regulator can audit it uh, or you as an individual can audit it to ensure that we as the exchange or order book as the exchange operator hasn't manipulated any of the orders. Uh, and it's, we have a token sales wizard. So this is a plugin that goes on our clients' websites where people can come in, they can set up an account, uh, they can purchase the tokens directly through the token sales wizard, they can get verified, they can go through the KYC, the AML accreditation verification process, and uh, it's, uh, it's really powerful. We've launched about 15, maybe 20 ICOs, I forget the exact number. Uh, so far, we launched the very first one in August, which was Proppy. Uh, we successfully raised $15 million for them, uh, made history being the very first decentralized uh, token exchange to launch an ICO. So it's both, uh, we launched there as the, as the primary market. Then of course, the token has the ability to trade on the secondary market. Now, if you need to incorporate any type of restrictions on that around geography, we can geofence. Uh, if there are time restrictions for either advisors or based on regulatory compliance, we can also bake that in. So we can do a lot of really interesting things because we control the exchange. So it allows, the exchange allows people to buy a token and put it in their wallet, but does it allow them to convert like token XYZ into Bitcoin or Ethereum? So it is an Ethereum token exchange. And so what that means is that you can, uh, you can deposit Ether, you can deposit Bitcoin. And uh, one really interesting thing that we did is that we created a Bitcoin, uh, a Bitcoin representation on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you want to trade Bitcoin, you can trade Bitcoin on, uh, on the exchange, 
Now, what's happening is that the Bitcoin, when you deposit it, goes into a custodial account uh, and you get the representation of a Bitcoin on the Ethereum network. So you can essentially move the value of Bitcoin at the speed of the Ethereum network. Uh, we're the first ones to do this. We'll be doing the same thing with other currencies. And uh, so we don't, we're not a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, we're not an Ether exchange. We're explicitly Ethereum-based tokens. But if I want to convert a new token into Ethereum or Bitcoin and take it off the exchange, can I do that? Or is it not allowable to do that? Or is it just for initially buying the tokens and then they have to wait to be listed on like the major exchanges to get at them? Let's say there's a new ICO that comes out, you know, token XYZ, um, and I buy a token XYZ through you, you know, through your system, I'm AML, KYC, and all that stuff. Um, I decide I want to turn my token into Ethereum and then maybe into fiat from there or into mm -hmm. Bitcoin and then into fiat from there. Can I do that with your exchange? Got it. Yeah. So uh, so it's pretty easy to do with Bitcoin if uh, you can essentially purchase uh, the equivalent of a Bitcoin tether. Uh, and then from there, you can, uh, quote unquote, cash in that Bitcoin, uh, that Bitcoin representation. Uh, and uh, you get Bitcoin sent to you. So yes, we do have that ability. Uh, with Ether, uh, we, it's, not a, it's not an Ether exchange, so you can deposit Ether, you can move Ether, you can, uh, you can trade the tokens for different tokens, uh, but it's, we're, not, we're not a broker of Ether or Bitcoin, so we only work with what is deposited into the exchange. Okay, and then uh, you said it's non-custodial, but you guys would have the the funds on your exchange, right? I mean, you would be a custodian of the funds. It's just that, uh, I mean, you can't get at them, but in some sense, I guess you are custodial, right? We are non-custodial. So uh, we are no more custodial than I am custodial over your private Bitcoin wallet. Uh, what I mean by that is that you have the private keys. And if you have the private keys, then you have ownership of that value, of that asset. Uh, in the same way, we have no access to our customers, our account holders' private keys. Only the account holder does. They're hosted in the browser. Okay, gotcha. All right, and then going backwards, um, you know, you help companies through the ICO process. What are some of the factors that tell you whether someone's idea in white paper or someone's company is, you know, is a viable candidate to do an ICO? And would, you know, where do they miss the mark and they wouldn't be viable? So. When we filter, the first thing that we look at is the team. We want to understand who it is that is behind this project. Does the story make sense? Uh, do these folks have the ability to deliver? If they're given the funds that they want to raise, will they have the ability to deliver not just only on a, on a successful token sale, but more importantly, on a successful project? Uh, we only take on projects that we are going to be behind for the long term. Uh, we're not interested in projects that you know, just want to create a lot of hype and then, and then step out of it. That's of no interest to us. So the first thing that we look at is the, is the team, their background, their intentions. Uh, beyond that, the next thing that we look at is the addressable market. Uh, what is it that they're going after? Who is it? You know, what, what is the possibility of success, right? Is the timing right? Or is there other external factors that are going to need to change in order for a project like this to succeed. Uh, it's very similar the way that you would vet any other project if you were going to be putting to money work in any other project. 
you know, the other things that we look at is that we are very interested in closed loop or circular economy tokens. So is there a two-sided marketplace? Is there a new economy that is being created as a result of this project? Or is this token more like a gift card in that uh, I buy the token and then give it right back to you? Uh, understanding what the mechanics are, as well as understanding what the monetary policy is of the token, and is the value of this economy once it's created, is it going to be reflected in this token? Uh, so these are all different questions that we ask, uh, and uh, we do very deep due diligence in the projects that we take on as full-service clients uh, and help them get to a point where they can deliver on the promises. And uh, we like to get our projects as far down the road as we possibly can before performing a token sale. But these are the main criteria that we look at. Um, okay. What about uh, regulation, you know, the SEC and uh, commodities board saying, well, tokens are either securities or commodities. You know, you may try to call them a utility token, but we may think differently. What do you think is coming, and what do you guys do to make sure that uh, your ICOs are safe from being called securities later on or commodities? So that's a really good question, and uh, I am not going to speculate on what I think is coming because I don't have insight into the regulators' minds. Uh, what I do know is that uh, the SEC has been very clear in that if a token is a security, you have to follow the rules. There's none of this, well, it's on blockchain, so it doesn't really count. That's not how we see it. Uh, the first thing that we do is that we require all of the companies that we work with to have legal counsel, legal counsel that understands U.S. securities law. Uh, if our clients don't have legal counsel, then we put them in touch with the attorneys that we work with. Uh, it is uh, of utmost importance to ensure that a token sale is in compliance. Uh, now, some, some strategies that I've seen for compliance are to just not sell into the United States, for example. And that may or may not prevent you from uh, the ire of the U.S. regulators. I'm not sure that it actually would. Uh, but, you know, one thing you have to take into consideration is that there's other regulators all around the world. And anywhere that you sell a token that is deemed a security, you have to comply with local securities law. So the answer right. is that it's very complex, uh, but at the same time, Selling securities and selling these types of instruments is not treading new ground. Uh, the rules and the regulations around uh, what you can and cannot do are very clear. Uh, and so uh, what we do is that we either will uh, provide uh, our clients with uh, the corporate counsel that we use, uh, or they have their own that, that's familiar with this, uh, but compliance with securities law is of utmost importance basic strategies that you employ with ICOs to make sure that they don't get anywhere near a problem? I mean, I'm sure it's complex, but are there any, you know, basic precepts you guys follow or things that will make you say no right off the bat? So, I mean, basic strategies are, are getting good legal counsel. It's as, it's as simple as that. Uh, there are different mechanisms and exemptions that the SEC has provided for doing things like private placements, uh, selling to accredited investors. You know, there's rules in place that uh, that legal counsel is able to advise you on how to do it, disclosures that you need to have, uh, ways that you are and are not allowed to uh, market this, 
Uh, these are all the types of things that a good lawyer is going to walk you through. And this is why it's so important to make sure that you have strong legal counsel. And yes, your legal counsel can guide you through uh, more conservative or more risky regulatory approaches, depending on your tolerance and, uh, you know, how you uh, the, the level of risk that you want. But the level of risk that we want from a regulatory perspective is very low. We we have no intention of uh, saying, well, it was kind of gray at that time, right? That's not, that's not how we proceed. Uh, we proceed very much of the, well, this is the rule that we know applies to that. And so until different guidance is given, we're going to follow these rules. What, what does the environment look like right now for ICOs? I mean, it, just to me, you know, I'm an outsider, but I guess I'm just tired. It's like ICO after ICO, and it seems like everyone's fishing in the same pond for, uh, you know, for crypto enthusiasts to invest. I mean, what, what do you see is happening, and where do you see things going in the ICO market? You know, does, yeah. you know it just seems real crowded and uh, played out already. Well, you're absolutely right, and it is, it is getting exceptionally crowded. And uh, it we've gone from having you know, maybe a dozen ICOs going on at any time at the beginning of the year to having, I don't know, 10,000 ongoing at any given time. And you're absolutely right. There is just this plethora of ICOs and, and there's exhaustion. Uh, now, I don't have the data to point to this. Uh, I've attempted to obtain it. Uh, so this is my, my theory. Uh, my theory is that the overall pie of money that is being put into ICOs is still getting bigger. Uh, however, the slices of each pie is getting smaller because there are so many ICOs. Uh, at the beginning of the year, you could uh, promote a token and uh, you could use uh, you know, various social media means for a functional utility token sale and get a tremendous amount of traffic. Uh, today, the, the amount and the quantity of banner ads and of uh, uh, different advertisements for ICOs is just, it's so overwhelming that it's very difficult to stand out from the crowd, to be that signal in the noise, so to speak. Uh, so what, we, what I'm seeing is a flight to quality. So the quality ICOs, quali quality being defined as uh, a very strong team that has a track record of success, uh, a very sound idea that has a, a real probability of being achieved, as well as some of these other areas such as uh, governance best practices. What I mean by that is putting an investing schedule for anybody who uh, is involved in the team or advisors, uh, putting in uh, uh, putting in a vesting schedule for any early purchasers that are getting larger discounts, uh, setting it up so that the long-term interest of the project uh, is aligned all along the way, uh, disclosing how the funds are going to be used. You know, there's uh, it, these are very basic things, but things that have we've been able to uh, projects have been able to get away with in the past without doing that's mo that's no longer happening. The other thing that I see is that the funding process is moving much more towards a uh, a syndicated process where you know large funds will decide which projects to back, and then this network of other large funds that they speak to all decide to. Uh, quote unquote, do king making, right? So they decide, or queen making, where they decide which projects are going to uh, fund, and these are the ones. So uh, what I believe will transpire over the next 12 to 18 months is a a long tail distribution, where there's going to be a, a few projects that get the majority of the funding, and then there's going
going to be a long tail of projects that get uh, a very small piece of the pie. Yeah, it makes sense. Any new strategies that, uh, you know, you said there's a flight to quality, you know, good premise, et cetera. But, I mean, the marketing itself or, you know, since there's so much noise, how do you break through? Anything you're seeing that's innovative or new that the companies are doing? In terms of a, a company that's fundraising, how do they break through? Uh, yeah, so yeah. How do ICOs break through and actually raise money successfully now in this difficult environment? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, so one is uh, working with a professional services organization like Ambisafe that knows uh, how to efficiently uh, put PR and marketing money to work, uh, as well as has a network of people that uh, that. If, if you have a network of people that you can reach out to uh, that will support your project, then that'll that'll go very far. But you know, really, what we're the the the, uh, the reality is setting in that this type of process is not as free and easy as it used to be. Uh, it used to be that anybody with a really slick white paper and uh, you know really great graphics on their website could uh, launch the ICO and get a substantial amount of money. Uh, there's a lot of echoes back to the dot-com era where companies that were pre-business model were floating and going public. Uh, you know, that lasted for a period of time until it no longer lasted and, and a lot of value uh, was wiped out. Uh, we've had some of that irrational exuberance in this market, and uh, it's starting to get so crowded that that irrational exuberance is, uh, I'm not saying that there isn't still this type of exuberance going on, uh, but it's not as easy as it used to be. So it's really, it's a lot of hard work, right? Now, some companies look at this fundraising mechanism as an alternative to trudging up and down Sand Hill Road, knocking on all the VCs' doors and pitching over and over and over. And they think that this is an easier way to fund the project that they want to pour their life and their energy into and create. And uh, it's not exactly like that. There is a lot of hard work. There is a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations where you explain your project, you explain the technology, you give a demo of the token working in real life, and you really curate uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis over and over and over, and you do Reddit, Ask Me Anything, and you make yourself available to answer questions. It's very much, it, you know, if now, I want to set the proper expectation that doing an initial coin offering in this environment does require a lot of work. You can't just sit back on the couch and uh, and watch the watch the ether and Bitcoin roll in. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Okay, very good. Um, you know, for ICO people that want to do ICOs and want to raise money and tokenize existing efforts, um, any parameters on what it costs and you know how long of an engagement it is with your firm and you know what what's involved? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, one of the beautiful things about the ICO mechanism and one of the reasons why we're seeing tens of thousands of ICOs is because it can be relatively simple and relatively inexpensive. And it really does democratize access to the capital markets, uh, the, the crowdfunding markets, if you will. And uh, this is part of the promise that this technology has uh, given us. It's starting to deliver on is that I could be a, a, an entrepreneur uh, in sub-Sahara Africa, and I have an amazing idea of this revolutionary way to apply the technology. And I can, as simple as publishing a white paper and a, uh, an account, an Ether address or a Bitcoin address, I have the ability to accept funds and get funding for a project. Now, 
the likelihood of that happening in the amount of noise that we have today is much lower. But the the principle remains that this fundraising mechanism does open up the possibility for anybody with internet access in the world to fund their project. And I think that we're going to see some really magnificent success stories over the next five, ten years of the availability that this mechanism provides. Now, with that being said, uh, to do it correctly and to do it uh, uh, in, in a traditional sense requires a lot more work. It requires uh, it, it requires having a polished white paper. It requires uh, being public and talking about the project, and uh, it requires uh, getting to a place where you have a minimum viable product that you can plug your utility token into. Uh, it requires a lot of different things, and so uh, you know when we accelerate clients, when we take clients through the accelerator process that we do, uh, it depends on it depends on this depends on everything that we're going to be doing for them for pricing. So uh, if you are if you just want to hire us and use our technology, for example, if you want to go to order book and uh, have a smart contract written, have a token sales wizard and get the token listed on order book, then you're looking at around $25,000. Uh, if it's a utility token, we also take a percentage of the total amount raised, 2%. Uh, if you are going to have full service take you through the entire process, you know, you can spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars on PR and marketing alone easily. Uh, I think that the spending on PR and marketing is going to, that dollar amount is going to come down and it's going to become a much more face-to-face uh, -face type environment where the where the funding comes from. But you, you really do need to have this exposure on the web so that people can find you and so that people see you and so that you have an ability uh, to take your utility token viral. Uh, so all of the other services, right around $80,000, which would include uh, which would include a project manager and a due diligence report and uh, smart contracts and all the technology as well as uh, as well as all the pieces that I listed off initially. That's a that's a, a dollar amount that you uh, can expect to spend. What that wouldn't include is PR and marketing because that's always flexible, as well as legal expenses. You're going to want to budget at least $50,000 for legal. Uh, if you're going to be filing with the SEC, then that dollar amount can go up. So uh, there are there are a lot of uh, a lot of costs associated with doing it correctly. What I see a lot of projects doing is that they get a white paper put together. Uh, they get a basic minimum viable product put together, and then from there they go and they handpick their first uh, buyer of the tokens, and they're able to get somebody to come in for several hundred thousand dollars and purchase the tokens, and then they take that initial purchase and they're able to roll that into all the other services to, to launch a full-scale ICO. Uh, but it, it easily can cost several hundred thousand dollars if you're going to be doing PR and marketing, if you're going to uh, spend the money that you need to spend on legal advice and all of the other services that I listed off. Makes sense. Um, just because someone works with you to create an ICO, does that mean that you're able to connect them with investors, or really that's all up to them? Functional utility tokens. Uh, we are able to make introductions for. Uh, those are the only ones that we're able to make introductions for. Okay. And then our last question. You said um, some companies that perhaps aren't involved in blockchain, they already have projects that are running. You help them figure out if they should tokenize what they're doing. Yeah. Any examples of that, you know, that people wouldn't think about? Oh, I didn't know you could tokenize that, or that makes sense. So 
Yeah, we've uh, so we've had a number of uh, we've had a number of discussions uh, with projects where uh, it makes sense to to tokenize a portion of their business. Uh, you know, for example, uh, anything having to do with sharing of computer resources, uh, if uh, or sharing of any type of uh, any type of communication access or protocol. Uh, it can make sense if you're attempting to democratize access to it to create an economy there. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of businesses that look at their existing revenue model and they realize, like, I've got a perfect two-sided marketplace here and I'm a middleman and what I'm doing is uh, I, I'm just connecting these people. Well, you know, I could leverage a smart contract in the blockchain to make this peer-to-peer -peer much more frictionless uh, reduce the costs, and then you know maybe I take a little bit of uh, uh, of rent for each transaction that takes place, and changing their business model. So it's not so much that companies are changing what they're doing; it's more of that they're looking at this and they're realizing that it's a different way to uh, expand their business and also provide a, a different revenue model that benefits everybody. It uh, it increases the quantity and quality of consumers for their products. Uh, or for their service, and it also gives the company an ability to uh, monetize in a way that they hadn't been able to monetize before. I think that we're going to see a lot more companies doing this, and I think that we're going to also see a lot of larger companies that are recognizing this, either for parts of their, I mean, Kick is a great example, right? They're, they're a very early mover on this. Uh, seeing what they did and, uh, you know, whether or not they succeed, I, I certainly hope that they do, uh, but whether or not they succeed, there's going to be plenty of others that come along and it also see, like, uh, that there is an opportunity to do this, and if they don't do it, then somebody else is going to do it to them. Uh, so these are, right. you know, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time. Well, very good. All right, Patrick, so what's the best way for uh, interested parties to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, check us out at ambisafe-financial.com. Uh, if you have a project that you would like for us to evaluate to see if it's a good fit for our services, you can submit it through our website. Uh, you can also reach out at hello at ambisafe.com. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter at ambifinancial. Uh, and would certainly love to hear from you. We're always looking for high-quality projects. Uh, we're always, it can either be, you know, a two-person startup or a $100 million a year company. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If the idea is sufficiently interesting, then we want to work with you. So uh, certainly look forward to hearing more from uh, all of your listeners. Very good, Patrick. Thanks for coming on the line. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Hello, for Ambisafe, um, Patrick Barron wanted to make sure he gave a very complete answer. And one of my questions, um, he feels like he didn't answer fully, so here's that answer. I said to him, if um, you have a, an ICO that creates an ERC-20 token, meaning it uh, uses the Ethereum protocol, and you want to sell your tokens into Ethereum or into Bitcoin, can you do that? So he says, uh, because order book is decentralized and peer-to-peer, there has to be both a seller and a buyer for a transaction to be matched by a smart contract. Makes sense. So if I have an ERC-20 token, let's say it's a XYZ coin, I'm making this up, and I want to uh, sell it for Ethereum, there has to be a buyer who's willing to sell their Ethereum for XYZ token. And then if that happens, the system will match it up and we're all good. If there is no buyer and there may or may not be liquidity in some of the ICOs, you know, it just depends, I have no clue. 
Um, but if there is liquidity, great. If there's not, uh, no. So I think that's the answer there. Hope this helps. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.